Good morning, Connect. How's everybody doing? Let's try that again. Good morning. Everybody's there. All right. Is it a good morning? I hope you guys are having a good morning. That was a phenomenal worship experience. Um, it is well with my soul. How about you guys? I'm telling you what, I love, love, love to uh, worship at our church. We're so blessed. I don't take it for granted. I hope you don't either. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Derek. I'm the uh, lead pastor here, and it's an honor to be with you. We're we're glad you're in church with us today. We hope you feel welcomed and hope you feel just, you know, a friendly atmosphere where people care about people. We love people at Connect. Um, that's because of my wife. I actually don't like people at all. I'm uh, just kidding. Um, so just kind of uh, the DNA of our church is to really be about people and connect with people and really make them feel connected to God, godly people in a godly place. Amen? Amen. Before I get into today's message with much anticipation, um, I want to just tell you some things that uh, if you're kind of a frequent flyer or we say a family member here, um, we have some really exciting things coming up in the next uh, season, this fall and early winter season, where you can be a part of something bigger than yourself. And the reason I'm going to uh, just kind of kind of leak a little vision today, um, but I, I have this like pastoral uh, obsession with not just constructing a message for Sunday, but being prepared for a season. So we ha I look through uh, what happens here, not just a sermon. I don't look through just a series. I look through a season. And so we're coming into a season of giving, giving. So the fall is a season where we can, people will pour their time, talent, and treasure into many other things. And so, um, and a lot of times it's frivolous and foolish things that we do, and we we go out on the town, and we hit the malls, and we've got a black belt and MasterCard. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? Like Zorro, ching, 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 ching. And we're not thinking about what we're doing. So I want to prepare you to be really good stewards as we go into this, um, this fall season, this early winter season, not to be foolish and frivolous. And then come January, you've got a financial noose around your neck, and you're ill-prepared. So there'll be many opportunities to kind of change your perspective, change your practices and habits, and some experiences... To, to get involved in what's happening in the community. We're going to do some things for the community. We have a turkey outreach coming up in the very near future. How many have ever gone to one of our turkey outreaches? Raise your hand good and high so you can see. So this is a big event. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of people uh, come. Our church gives away turkeys for free. And uh, the genesis of that particular event was the church has been a bunch of turkeys, so we'd like to give you one. That's how it all started. And so years ago, we just thought, how do you get the good news in? you got to get the bad press out. Yes? No? Are you guys tracking with me? So to get the good news in, you got to get the bad press out. So we just give. We just give. And people come in like, it's for free, a turkey. you know. So we're giving away like 12, 15-pound turkeys for free. And people are looking at us like, this is unbelievable. And so we've done that every year. So you'll have an opportunity to participate that in the coming, in the coming weeks. I'll tell you more about that later. And some other things that relate on a more global scale that you here locally can do something globally. I can't wait to talk about that in the coming weeks. Let's pray, though. Can we do that? Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to um, be a part of what you're doing on the earth today. Thank you for the kingdom work that's taking place at Connect. Thank you for those that are here. And I pray that you would open their hearts and minds to hear what the Spirit says. Holy Spirit, would you speak through um, this, this vessel and would you use, um, you know, this platform? Would you use my personality? Would you use it to just be able to bring principles that can literally change our lives 
from the inside out. Lord, we're not looking for external change. We're looking for internal changes. As Pastor Mark said, you look at the heart. And I pray, Lord, for heart change today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen and amen. So listen, you might be one of those people that came today and you're like, I brought a friend to church today. No! He's talking about money. I'd rather he speak about hell than talk about money. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't because you hadn't heard me talk about hell. But no, you want to. <laughs> so you're like, could he preach about relationships? Could he preach about time management? Could he do, you know, just even on the goodness of God or something like that? Why, why, why? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe it's orchestrated by somebody bigger than you and I that you're here today. And I want to reassure you that, you know, don't freak out because we talk about money because Jesus talked about money. Okay, and in fact, out of 23 parables, he talked about money. 16 of those parables were about money. 2,350 promises are related to stewardship and giving and, and generosity in the Bible. It's a lot. It's, it's, it's a lot. It talks about money, you know, 10 times more than it talks about salvation. So, because God knows there's this connection between our hearts. So it's an important subject. We don't talk about it a lot, but when we talk about it, we, 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 we make sure that it's it's a priority. And so this is kind of a season that we're in right now to talk about this because it's to prepare you. It's to prepare you. Uh, I also want to say uh, people that talk about money or don't talk about money, it's be usually because they're under pressure. So when you come into a church, if you come from another church background, I venture to say one of these two extremes was the case. One is never got talked about at all because the pastor was afraid to talk about it because of the pressure he felt from the people. Or he talked about it a lot because of the pressure he felt because the people weren't giving. And so he was under pressure in the, and, and so he put people under pressure. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes or no? So I'm not under any pressure. Okay? I'm not under pressure personally. I'm not under pressure ministry-wise. So I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm trying to get something into you. Come on, somebody. Okay? So I just want you to know that just at the outset, I'm not going to put people under pressure. Uh, in fact, I'm never going to ask you if you've been here for any length of time. You know this to be true. I'm never going to ask you for something, ever. I haven't in my pastorate. 23 years, I haven't done that. I'll ask you to talk to God about things, but I won't ask for something from you, okay? And I don't intend to do that or start doing that now. So I'm not going to put you under pressure. I think there's enough pressure that we put on ourselves. There's enough pressure that people will put on us. I mean, frankly, we see this pressure everywhere. I mean, we, our kids are under too much pressure. You know, I mean, you, you, you growing up, you know, today, kids have to take tests to get into kindergarten. <laughs> what? I mean, when I, was, when I was in kindergarten, the only thing I had to be able to do was take a nap <laughs> and pass out graham crackers. And if you were a genius, you get to pass out the graham crackers because you could do it, you could break them on the line. You know what I mean? So I was apparently a genius because I could break the graham crackers on the line. So I just want you to know, uh, people, are putting, people are putting pressure on people. It's even transmitted all the way down to our kids. There's these conditions that kind of affect the way we see the world, our, the picture that we're seeing today. Like I have issues, and if you're a parent with kids, how many parents with kids? Raise your hand. Okay. How many uh, a kid of a parent? Okay, just making sure it's all play today. I, if, if you do this with your kids, I'm sorry, but I don't really like this whole allowance thing. I don't like this whole allowance thing. You know, we give, we give our kids money to exist in my house. To, yeah, I put a, provided a roof over your head 
a bed for you to lay your head, food every single day on the kitchen table, and I'm going to pay you money? <laughs> I don't get that. It's like, it's like the whole thing is switched around. It's like I have this picture of like this fearful father. He's got to give an allowance, and this kid, like little kid like with a gangster cap on comes over to dad. Yo, dad, yo, dad. How about, you know, we work something out. You give me a little something, something every week. I make sure nobody gets hurt. <laughs> yo, yo, we're in the family. It's like extortion from your parent. I, I don't get that. You know what I mean? And, and this thing, it permeates this, this family life. You've got kids that, when is the last time you heard your kids say, you know what, I'll pick up the tab today? <laughs> like, you know, fall over like, What? It's never happened in my life. Never. So maybe, though, flipping it, maybe it's because we lied to our kids. You're like, whoa, what's going with this? Yeah, the tooth fairy. Yeah, you did it. You did it. You, you told your kids that for your tooth, let's just get this, let's just get the economics of this. For this little white piece of enamel, you're going to get a dollar under your pillow. And this imaginary tooth fairy is going to come, is going to put this money underneath your pillow for your tooth. And that's all fine and dandy until little Susie Q goes to school. And she meets, you know, Daisy. And Daisy got 20 bucks for her tooth, comes back, gets off, Susie gets off the school bus crying, oh, the tooth fairy doesn't love me and you don't either. Like, it backfires, right? So we have to, we have to parents, we have to standardize the cost per tooth. It's an issue. I have issues with this. It puts pressure on me as a parent. It puts pressure on you. The same thing is true because times have changed. You know, parents, if you've been around a little while, you remember, hopefully you remember, I level, baby, penny candy. Anybody remember penny candy? <laughs> penny candy. Yeah. Now, penny candy is a dollar. Is a dollar. Well, I, I didn't get... Listen, when I was 10 years old, there was no parent that would give you a dollar because you would OD on penny candy. You'd be in an alley somewhere like just tripping out, sugar babies falling all out of your face, and you snuff pixie sticks up your nose, and it's like cocaine, like crack. Like that's when candy was candy. That's when a jawbreaker broke your jaw. It's a great day. It's a great day to be alive. Back in the day, your money went a long way, right? Things have changed, though, hasn't it? It's putting some pressure. It's putting some pressure on us. So you have a certain financial picture that is the result of the way you were brought up, your, the conditions, the, but also the circumstances. Some of the things have been self-imposed. Some of them we've accepted and we didn't have to. It's created a certain financial picture in your life. So I want to give you kind of like four frames, four picture frames for your financial picture. And you tell me which one of these pictures you come into, like the windshield that you look through at life today has a picture of it. And I want to change that picture this morning. I want to give you like these four images. The first one is like a sunny day, okay? A beautiful sunny day. They'll put it up on the screen right now. And, and this is, some of you, though I would think it's more the exception, this is your life. You have, you have money in the bank. There's more money at the end of the month than bills. There's savings in silos, you can write a check to, for something if you need to. Your credit card's paid off every month. You might even done some of your future planning. You might even be a giver. You, you might be increasing even in your ability to bless others because you've been blessed. Sunny days, that might be you. 
Or you might be this next kind of picture frame. Maybe it's like this busy kind of city life. Like, yeah, you're hustling and bustling. You're running and gunning. Bills are being paid. There's still money at the end of the month, but you have to work really hard for it. You're in process. There's this progressive thing that you're going through. It's a little above average, but it's still, it has a, a slight volatility to this, but, but things are going okay, and it's a full life, but you're seeing your needs met, and, and then the next frame is, is the next picture is the, the, there's a pending storm, and though it hasn't hit yet, you can feel it. It's like imminent, you know, it's not in your home, it's not in your circumstances and situation, but man, if things don't change, there, it's, it's, there's an ominous cloud around me coming my way, and I need to do something about it before this happens. It's a dark picture. And then there are, there are, there are many, and many in our country, where your life is a swirling tornado. And there's a category here where you're in the middle of it. You're not, it's not around you. It's, 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 it's literally a part of your life. It's simply awful right now. It's bearing down on you. It's extremely difficult, and some of the greatest problems in our life have to do with finances. They have to do with what's going on, and we're not, we're not experiencing financial freedom. We're in financial bondage. You don't want to go to the mailbox because you don't want to get a bill. You don't want to go to the inbox because you don't want another reminder from a, from a debtor, from a creditor, from a collector. They're like vultures. They're on the attack. It's a tornado. It's a tornado. And so you have these financial pictures. What is your current financial picture right now. That's what we want to talk about in the ABCs of financial freedom because we believe, and I say this boldly, that God wants you to have a beautiful day, a sunny, beautiful day picture for your finances. God's will is that you would be blessed. In Genesis 12 too, it says we're blessed to be a blessing. So he actually sees you as a channel, a conduit, a vessel. A lot of times we're not blessed, spirit, mind, and body, because we're, 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 we are just a silo. We, are, we're just, we're just, we hold it. We're just containers. And, and unfortunately, when we get to that place in that, in that way in our life, sometimes we can gain all our wealth but lose all our health. We can, we can take certain things in trying to hold on to it, and it ends up having a bag with holes in it, as Haggai tells us. And so we want to make sure that we have the financial picture that God has for us, not the financial picture that I have for me. But the vast majority of our culture today is not experiencing the beautiful sunny day that we just saw a few moments ago. Most of us are living a very different picture. Some of, the, some of us are living a picture that we created, but God didn't create. But inside the pages of God's word are answers. There are there are precepts and principles. There are life-changing, transformational um, ideals that can literally alter our life so that we can see as God sees, so we can experience all that he has for us. Can I have an amen? amen. So I want to give you four ways to change your financial picture. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is awesome so far, not what I expected. <laughs> the sincerity of this audience is overwhelming. So the ABCs of financial freedom, we're going to have a message for each one of these letters. We're going to go through the whole alphabet, and sometime in mid-February we'll be done. No, I'm just kidding. But A stands for attitude, our attitude towards God. And, and so the first thing we need in our attitude towards God that will create a different financial picture is we need a vision for our finances. We need vision. If you're going to change your financial picture, we need a different picture to replace the picture that we currently have. Proverbs 29, 18, I'm going to give kind of multiple translations on this particular verse. It's a very familiar passage, but it talks about this subject of vision. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Or it might say, they are destroyed. Another translation says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. That means they're unrestrained, uncontrollable. 
In other words, you just give in and surrender to, 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 the, to, the, to the waves of the sea, to culture and the current of culture. And so they end up going their own way. Um, one translation says, where there's no vision, the people get out of control. But whoever obeys instruction is happy. What if our, what if our true, uh, what, if, what if that, excuse me, this vision principle is true for us? What if it is true that if I don't have vision, then I cast off restraint? What if it is true that if I don't have vision for my finances, that I could be su- subject to or, or potentially destroyed by a lack of vision in my finances? I believe that. I believe if we don't have a picture, a preferred future, goal, dream about our, our finances, then we can be destroyed, un, unrestrained. We can suffer ultimately as a result of that. And so I believe that when we have a picture of, of our finances, then it will protect and attract the appropriate provision. When you have the right picture, it will protect your finances. See, I think vision protects. Purpose protects. Vision will protect. But it also will attract because the purpose, if surrendered to God, God's involved. It will always attract provision. Is everybody with me? So our our destiny can be different than this swirling tornado. What is your vision for your finances? A Harvard study uh, said this, that 60% of Americans have no vision or thoughts about the future. 35% of those 60 have experienced welfare at one time or another. There's a powerful connection between the lack of vision and what is actually happening in our finances. Only 3% of Americans have any vision for their life written down. However, 100% of those with written goals are, the world, are what the world sees as the most successful people on the planet. Vision is powerful. I want you to know that as we look at finances from an aerial view, we will get practical. We will continue to unpack specific principles, but you need to understand the power of vision. You need to have a beautiful sunny day picture for your finances. And I believe the reason most of us don't have what what God wants for us is because of a lack of vision. In fact, write this down. Often the picture of nearsighted desires is closer than the picture of farsighted dreams. Often what's going on up close is keeping us from what God has for us on the horizon. Are you guys getting this with me? I believe the reason the vast majority of our financial pictures don't look like what they uh, need to look like is because that which is happening today is keeping us from that which God wants to do tomorrow. It's the urges and the cravings and the, the new shirts and the new suits and the, the latest and the greatest and the i7s and the new cars and the, the bling and, and the new and improved. And the, it, it just it takes us over. And, and, and so that near picture is keeping us from the far-sighted dreams that he has for us. The far-off picture, uh, the more that that dream becomes clear, the more that that which is near begins to fade in its draw, in its gravitational pull, in its interest to our lives. And so if you can paint that picture clearly, you won't be as subject and subordinated and submitted to those things that are near you. That's the power of vision. And it will keep you from what's coming. It always comes around this season. Somewhere in November, December, the spending skyrockets. And we're just getting, in many cases, we're just getting, this is speaking of our personal uh, finances, but the country is having a little swing where we're a little bit more secure. Uh, In 2015, 43% were happy with their financial condition. In 2016, it's somewhere around 50%. That's still a horrible number. And it's really based on really some faulty foundations. But, but the point is we always go into this season and lose the ground that we gain. That's what happens right now. 
But we need to have this picture. And this picture, by the way, is not what some people think or what the world promotes. It's not self-actualization. It's not, in other words, you on the throne of the design of that picture, of the architecture of that picture. It's God on the throne of the design and architecture of that picture. Is everybody with me? See, the world promotes something differently. If you, if you believe it, you can have it. If you can see it, you can achieve it. That, that's you on the throne of your life. But as Christ followers, Christ needs to be on the throne of our lives. He's the one who draws and designs and determines the picture that we should have. And so, in fact, God puts in his word filters for us to build upon. In fact, it's not in your notes, but Psalm 37.4, it says that, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, I used to just see the second half of that very important verse. He wants to give me the desires of my heart. No, you delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires, parenthetically, that you should have, close parentheses, of your heart. Did you guys get that? So self-actualization will twist and, and distort a biblical truth. But then God wants to take it up a notch. He wants to get things right in your heart level. He wants to have the pen in hand for you. But then he'll give you a picture, and then he wants you to write down what he shows you, what he reveals to you, what you see. Habakkuk 2.2, I think this is in your notes, but it says, The Lord gave me this answer. Write down clearly on tablets what I reveal to you. What I reveal to you so that it can be read at a glance. The message says it like this. Write this. Write what you see. Notice he doesn't say what you hear. It doesn't say it's, it's, it's a picture. He's saying, I'm going to show you a picture, a financial picture. A vision is a picture. It is a revelation of what your finances should look like. And he's saying, write down what you see. Write down what you see. It says, write it out on big block letters in the message so that it can be read on the run. In other words, God knows you're going to have to keep moving to accomplish this vision, but you want to have that vision so vivid, so accessible and tangible that you never forget and that it always fuels the different things that you're doing in your life. Is everybody with me? Vision is so powerful as it relates to your finances. Let me tell you a story. My wife and I, before we live in the home we live now, we lived actually right down the street here. And we had a family of six in just under, like a little over 1,000 square feet of home. Okay? So, so that's crowded. <laughs> and I can remember, and it all depends on where you live. If you live in the Dominican, that's a mansion. But if you live in the United States, in this area, that's, that's small. I can remember my kids playing in the bathroom because there's no place and space to have playtime. You know, as girls with dolls, and, and so that Devin could actually grow up to be a good boy. You know, we went and had some separation. You know what I mean? So, so, so Mallory would go in the bathroom to play. What are you doing in here? And, and it reminded me we needed a home. And so we started praying and believing God for a home. And, and Stacy and I would talk about it and pray about it. And then Stacy, in good discipline, following Habakkuk 2.2, she wrote down the vision, what, she, what God showed us, what we saw. In fact, she saw way more than me. And she got very, very descriptive on that house that God had for us. We delighted ourselves in the Lord. We believed he was going to give us the desire of our heart. We applied to Habakkuk 2.2 and we wrote that baby down. She put it on a piece of paper and stuck it on the mirror in our um, private bathroom. Excuse me, at this point there was only one bathroom so there was nothing private about it. That's future. <laughs> so, so we saw that thing. Every single day the whole family would see the vision for our house. Every single day for two and a half years. 
and we believed God for what he would show us. And we started shopping for homes before that, maybe a year before that, or even, even further back than that. We walk into a home. I'm not lying. We would be in there 60 seconds, and we'd be like, this isn't it. This isn't it, because it wasn't what we saw. It wasn't what God revealed. We'd leave. We'd go to another house. Nope, this isn't it. One day, the home we're in today, we walked into the house. It was almost instantaneous. This is it. This is it. Cul-de-sac. It had this. It had that. It was everything that God had showed us. The only problem was it was way out of our price range, like way out of our price range. And so I, we, we started praying about it. And I can remember feeling the burden of this because as a father, I want a house for my kids, and I want the, you know, I want to believe, I just believe he provide. And this was like the, the, putting the, it was a test of our faith. You know, faith that isn't tested cannot be trusted. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night, God woke me up with a divine strategy because and as a result of vision. I hope you're getting all that I'm saying because I don't have time to unpack it all. I wake up, and I'm like, that's it, that's it, that's it. We had decided to employ a realtor who worked also in our church. She had just got her realtor's license. She had not sold one house and said, Michelle, you're going to be our realtor. She said, no, Pastor, I don't really think you want me to be a realtor. I haven't even sold a house yet. I don't want to be under that kind of pressure. I don't want you to feel like you're under that kind of pressure because I don't have a lot of experience. I said, Michelle... I believe God wants you to be our realtor. So I said, but here's the deal. We found a we, we shopped around. We found a house. And I said, Michelle, I, I believe God told me this, but I want you to schedule a meeting where we negotiate the price of this house face-to-face with the owners. She says, Pastor, they, I'm sorry. They just don't do that. That's not how you do it in the business. It just doesn't happen like that. It's not going to happen. I said, Michelle... I'm telling you, we prayed about this. God showed me that if we do this, we're going to be able to get the price that we asked for. In fact, I even boldly said, when they see our family, they're going to want our family to live in their house. She said, I, I don't know. I said, call them. So she calls them. She says, they won't, they won't meet, but they'll meet in the same location. I said, fine. They'll meet in one room. You'll meet in the other room. But we're, I'm still going to believe to have that face-to-face. She says, okay, fine, Pastor, fine, Pastor. And she's kind of reluctant. And so we get to this certain location. We're believing God to, like, turn the price around by, like, $50,000, $60,000, just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. And so she comes in our room. She's want to make a bid. I said, here's our bid. She goes, okay, if you want to go over there and make the bid, I'll make the bid. She goes over there. She makes the bid. They go, what? Are you crazy? She comes back. She goes, are you crazy? I told you they're crazy. And I said, okay, here's our counter. This is our final offer. And if they won't take this, we're out, Okay. She goes, okay, this is going to be a short meeting. She goes over there and she tells them, and she, they're like, no way, it's not going to happen. So she comes back over. She goes, I'm sorry they said no. I said, oh, well, okay, that's fine. So we get up to leave. As we walk out, the other family begins to walk out of the room at the same time. Stacy sees the lady. The lady sees Stacy. Stacy goes over to thank her just for her time and consideration, and goes, hey, it's really nice to meet you, and goes to hug the lady. The lady's overwhelmed by Stacy's love and affection. She steps back. She goes, are this your kids? I go, yep, and they're all lined up like little ducklings, like, yes, sir, 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 yes, sir. It's perfect, all in a row. I'm like, yes, yes, good job, good job. The one time you ever do it, you did it today, yes. And the lady breaks down and starts to cry. She says, oh my gosh, they're so cute. Oh, you're so, oh, you're so cute. Oh, you're so cute. She looks at her husband. She says, I want them to have the house. Just get, honey, let's just, let's just do it. I want them to be in it. And we made the deal right there. 40 like grand dropped, just like that, just like that. That's the power of vision, of vision. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? So you gotta, you gotta do some homework. 
You got to do some homework in different areas of life. You got to do, you've got to draw and design under the, under the inspiration of God that picture for your life. You may want to own your home in 10 years. Write it down. You may want to get out of consumer debt in the next 18 months. You need to write down that plan. You may want to be able to give by percentage more each year to the kingdom. You need to write that down. You may be able to help somebody when just something comes up, pops up. You want to be able to do something about that. Write that down. Are you tracking with me? Then I would suggest to you that you need to declare it. So you don't just write it down, but you need to speak it out. There is power in going public. Now, there's some goals that I have that I won't tell the whole church. There's, about, there's, a, there's a large percentage that would be misinterpreted or whatever. They're just private. But, but somebody needs to know those goals. Are you, are you here with me? You need to declare these things. Write them down. Make them public. Make them plain because there's power in your words. God wants to give you what you see. That's what he showed, that's what he showed you. Number two, we have to have the right thinking. We have to have the right thinking. Most of us have wrong attitudes and wrong beliefs about money. Okay, so most of us with money problems, this is the problem. You, th- you don't think you're the problem. <laughs> Most of us that have money problems, the problem is, is us. We're the problem with money. So we think I need to make more money to solve my problem. No, you need to think differently about money so that the problems of money go away. It's a thinking issue. And so a lot of times it's, it's if only or if I, if, if only, you know, I got the promotion and she didn't. If only my boss gave me the raise and the money that I deserve, then this would change. If only this, if only that, you know, if, if, if I could just this, if I could just that. We're blaming it on everybody else, but we're not owning it. That a lot of times our attitude towards money is the problem. We have this wrong thinking. Our problem, a lot of times our money problems begin and end with us. It's like the guy who goes to McDonald's every day for a year and then he's suing them because now he's obese. That happened. It really did. It's like going every single day for a year and he comes back and says, you made me fat. You made me obese. No. You can't, you can't do that. That's crazy. But that's sometimes what we do with God when it comes to our money. So he's, we're, we say things like, I'm waiting for him to help me, and he's waiting for us to invite him in to our situation by seeing things the way he sees them and by changing the way we think about things and letting him get involved. Are you tracking with me? Some of you that have money problems right now, you have this almost like cross your arms emotional response to this. I'm telling you as your pastor, it's your vision and it's your thinking. That's where it starts. This, is, this message is strategic to start from an aerial perspective before we can get down to the nitty-gritty and the practical. It won't work down here if you don't get it right in here, if you don't get it right in here. Okay? So it's a, this is a big deal. In fact, look at this next verse, Proverbs 23, 7. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So, so here's what it's saying to you. Whatever we believe and whatever we're thinking, uh, it, it, it matters as it relates to money. Whatever you believe and what do you think directly impacts financial matters in your life. In other words, our beliefs about money create our reality. 
Your beliefs and your thinking creates your reality. So if we think money is a necessary evil, that is going to affect your financial picture. If we believe I'll never have enough money at the end of the month, that is going to, if you believe that, if you think that, that is going to adversely affect your financial picture. If you believe there's always going to be storms in your life, there's, there's always going to be, a, there's a scarcity mentality. A lot of times I can pick it up around people. My kids know this and my wife knows this. So he's got a poverty mentality. He has a scarcity mentality. And so sometimes when I'm discipling people, I don't even get into the practical spending plans and budgets. You need to do X, Y, Z. No, we need to deal with the way you think about money first because you have a scarcity mentality. You have a poverty mentality. You look at it differently. So we have to believe in our hearts for a better financial picture. When I say believe, some people don't know what that means. Like, just believe. Like, what do you do? Get up on your toes, get inspired, you know, say, <laughs> at the end of it or something. Believe. No, what does believe look like? Let me give, let me give some, some feet and, 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 and muscle to what it means to believe. How can you build your faith? The first thing you can do, it's not in your notes, but you need to hear God's word more. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. This is why you need to be in church every week for the next few weeks. This is why you need to be in church all the time is because it builds your faith. So, so circumstances, culture, all the, the news and the media is pummeling you. You will not have a good financial picture. But God's word says something completely different. And so you need to hear God's word. Here's the next thing you do. You need to speak what God's word says over your circumstances. This is not denying circumstances. This is simply exalting a promise over your circumstance. Faith is not denial of what you feel or even the facts. It's simply elevated above those things. So the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 17, that we speak things that be not as though they were. That's what God did. And the whole earth was formed. The worlds were formed. The stars were formed by words. Words, in other words, have power within them. The power of life and death is in your tongue. So you need to hear God's word. You need to speak God's word over your finances. Say, I'm blessed. God's, God's created me to be a blessing. I believe God's going to pour more provision in my life so that I can be a blessing to other people. I am blessed to be a blessing, Genesis 12, verse 2. You need to get that into your heart and then begin to speak it out. And the last thing you need is you need to act on. You need to obey what, you, what God's word says. Obey God's word. And there's so much we can do on this. We'll do another day. But Psalms 119, great verse. Verse 5, it says, Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. James 2.17 says, Faith without action is what? It's dead. Deeds and actions are the obedience to God's word. If we don't believe and act on it, it's, then it says in James 2.17, By itself, uh, it's, it's destitute of power. So if you just have faith without action, it is destitute of any power in your life. We have to act on God's word. Amen? So our attitudes, our attitudes are huge. Along with, you know, what we, what we say we've received, what we've confessed with our mouth, what we've acted on it, that creates your reality. Number three, say this is a good preaching pastor. All right, 10 people agree. That's awesome. Number three, we have to have the right attitude towards God. We have to have the right attitude towards God. In other words, there's a vertical connection to our horizontal picture here on earth. That you have to have a right attitude towards him. So some of us, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't see God the right way. When it comes to um, God, we have, to have a, we have to make a really tough decision. And this one is 
is a whopper in uh, financial freedom in our lives. When it comes to our money, it comes down to an issue of control. Control. Listen, you might be okay. You might be paying the bills right now. You might be all right. But if you're in control, you are, you are, you are on dangerous ground. Listen, I'm I, I trying to spell this out. It might look like it's going okay for you right now because we live in the most affluent culture in our world and you have silos to protect you. I, I, don't, I, I look at the money I have in the bank not as savings in the church or in my personal life. I look at it as surplus because it's all God's. Because I'm not building my foundation or my security on my savings. I see surplus that God could do whatever he wants with that if he chose to because I'm submitted to him. I'm not in control. He's in control. So if you base it on your, what you have stored away, I'm just telling you, you can, you're trying to control that. You could lose it all in the end. And I've, I've been alive long enough now, not that long, because I'm only about 32. But I've been, <laughs> spirit of lying, come out of him in Jesus' name. But I've been around long enough now where I've seen people, they do well, 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 well. And in the last 10 years, they lose it all because they were in control. They weren't submitted to God. And I'm just telling you, Control's an issue. I have a Janet Jackson song in my mind right now. I'm going to try to get rid of that. <laughs> Jesus, help me. Okay. Control. All right. So this is the part of the Christian experience that many Christians won't go there. One of the ultimate signs of maturity in my pastoral experience is people who submit their finances completely to God, people who walk in the spirit-empowered life, and people who serve with their gifts. So if you're, saying, if you're struggling to grow in your faith, it's always connected to serving with your talent to make a kingdom difference. It's always about what does it mean to, to be really fully submitted to, to your spiritual gifts and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it's always connected to your treasure. Always, always connected to those things. It's quiet in here, but it's good preaching, just the same. Praise the Lord. I'll move on. So surrender is a big deal. So how do we surrender control to God? Number one, you have to acknowledge the sovereignty of God and agree that everything belongs to God. You have to acknowledge the sovereignty of God and that everything belongs to God. So when you're saying, I surrender control to God, you are saying what God's word says, what godly people have said all throughout history is that everything belongs to God. So 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 12 and verse 14, I'll highlight those for you. But one of the wealthiest people uh, in the Bible, and of course a great leader, King David, was in a capital campaign to build a temple that actually he would never experience, but he was the, the primary financer for. He was so committed to the principles of God that he would pay for something that he never actually got to experience. He was helping finance something for his son Solomon. And in the process of doing that, he, it reveals his values and his views that we in turn should have have as well. It says this in verse 11. It says, Praise to be to you, Lord, the God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and power and the glory and the majesty and splendor. Watch this. For everything in heaven and what? Earth is yours. Everything in heaven and earth is what? Yours. So everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. Next, yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. That's referring to lordship. Wealth and honor, where do they come from? You. You are the ruler of all things. Then how does it all come out? How does it all get dispersed? In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. So here's kind of the simple value system. Everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God, and everything, the, the power to get wealth, the ability to get wealth, the giftings to get wealth, all are dispersed by God. 
That's what King David is saying here. So you, in order to surrender control, have to see as God sees to experience what he has for you. It all is his. So no, it's mine. Well, back up from that. He gave you the power to get wealth according to God's word. No, I did that. No, God gave you the power to be able to do that in the first place. Ultimately, you won't take any of it with you. You know who gets it all? God. It was all God's before you got here. In fact, you should have seen it all before you did get here. Okay? So verse 14, he goes on to say in the last part of the verse, everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. So he's basically saying, God, it doesn't even seem fair that I get to participate in this way. You, it's all yours, but let you let me steward a portion of that. I give some of it back to you, and then you bless me back and give me the credit. That's crazy. I'm so, so awesome. It's so awesome that I can participate in this way. That's how David viewed it because of his view of God, his attitude towards God. Amen? Here's the next thing. As business leaders, we know this, but sometimes as Christians, we don't. There's a difference between ownership and possession. We mix them up. Just because I possess it doesn't mean I own it. You are a steward and a manager of what you have. See, you, we think we own things. No, we've been, we're here on temporary assignment. We are human beings. We are, excuse me, spiritual beings having a human experience. We're here temporarily, and we've been given certain things entrusted to us. And God's saying, I want you to be faithful, and I want you to maximize those to the best of your ability. So just because it's like somebody who's driving a company car. Just because you possess that doesn't mean it's your car. You don't go back to the boss and say, hey, I'm giving you my car. The boss is like, no, you're not. That's my car. Right? So we see that really clearly in business, but we don't see that clearly about what we have now. I possess a car. I possess a home. But I don't own it. It's God's. I don't own a car. God owns my car. It's God's. Everything that's in my wallet is God's. All right? So that mentality changes your financial picture and I'm telling you it'll change your priorities and it'll change your plans and it'll change your provision because God will say oh I can bless somebody that I can entrust with more I can give him five talents knowing he'll produce five more I can give him two because he'll produce two more but if I just if I give you one and you bury it in the ground or you think it's all yours I'm gonna have a problem with you right is everybody with me so the Bible talks about this a lot. We get a little tripped up here with this possession over ownership thing. Next thing is recognize whatever we have is a loan from God. It's a loan. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust, didn't say truck, it said trust. Those who have been given a trust must prove what? Faithful. Everybody say faithful. faithful. God is looking to see what you have and how are you stewarding that? How are you managing that? Are you being faithful with that? Are you, are you being multiplicative with that? Are you, are, you managing, are you managing those things well? The next thing we need to do is we need to get more wisdom and apply it to our finances. So when you surrender control, then you will go to God and godly counsel for finances. So I, I'm amazed how many people who have, let's say, the gift, to, to, to the gift of giving even or the gift to even make money, but they don't include God in the picture at all. They don't consult God. They don't consult God's word. They don't, go, they don't receive godly counsel. I think there are financial laws that work. Don't get me wrong. They work. In fact, next week I may talk about five financial laws that work, but I'm going to talk about five laws that are above that from God's word. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. As Christians, we have to decide whether we believe that or not. You know? And we have to look to God's word to see what are those laws that, that supersede or even a higher or complement 
the laws that we see here on earth at work. We need wisdom from God. And so I think it's incumbent upon us as his children to seek God in his word, but also seek people, godly counsel, in order to be good stewards. That's why the Bible tells us in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. Where do you start with your finances? How do you get your financial picture right? Seek first kingdom principles. When you do, he'll add all these things. He'll take care of all this other stuff to you. He'll take care of it for you. If you lack wisdom, James tells you, then ask God who what? Gives uh, sparingly here and there. I don't know about you. No, it says he gives generously to those who ask without partiality. Amen? Here's the fourth point. Say, this has been awesome, Pastor. I'm getting so much out of this. Oh, it's getting more. It's getting more exciting as we go. So we need vision. We need right thinking. We need right attitude towards God. And lastly, we have to change our actions. Our actions. Action, action. We need action. We can say we're changing, but if there isn't change, that's not change. And I would say this to you. If you're through changing, John Maxwell says you're through. So we need to keep changing, and that requires actions for that to happen. So three ways to change. Number one, and this is big. Determine, are you going to trust God with your finances? Or are you going to trust you? Are you going to trust God with your finances? I would just say to you, what would happen if you just surrendered control, you turned over your checkbook, your financial picture, the architecture and design of your finances to God? What if you determined to involve him in your finances? The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, trust the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. It's not saying your understanding is invalid. It's just saying don't put your total trust in that. Don't lean or bank on that. Bank on what God says. That check will cash every time. So how do we trust God? Well, you do it through denial of self. So one of the ways that we change is through denial of self. By the way, I didn't say self-denial because that self's still on the throne. It's denial of self. You don't want to be on the throne when it comes to your finances. You want God on the throne of your life. But denial of self is, it, there is a time where we have to say no so we can say yes to something else. And this is the crucified life. And this is the part, the journey, the, 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 the process of change where there's wins along the way, where there's character development along the way, where there's positives along the way. And it's not easy. It's easy to get in debt, but it's not always easy to get out. But God won't leave you hanging to dry. He won't leave you by yourself. Some people that I know would not, um, they would not trade the process, of the process they went to to get to financial freedom for anything. In other words, the years it took, the months it took, whatever it took to get to that place of financial freedom, they would not trade the journey because of how much it changed them. Sometimes when we pray prayers, God answers your prayers right away and changes your circumstances. But a lot of times we pray prayers and he's changing you. So God isn't interested in your comfort. He's interested in your character. He's interested in changing you from the inside out. Can I have an amen? So what price are we willing to pay? Let me tell you what we do at Connect here as, as best I know how. Um, we try to help people on their journey. And so I, I'm of the suspicion that people, they, they, they want to give. They want to be good stewards. They just can't. There's, 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 there's strap. There's a freedom issue. And so, so we, we, we believe if people are freely received, they freely give. But what I marvel at is, is sometimes it's our thinking, it's our vision, it's our attitude, it's our actions. We will not fully surrender our finances to God so that we can turn our picture around. And so I'm just saying to you, be in church every single week. Don't let a financial series pass you by. Let God renew your mind. 
Let him transform you from the inside out. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. I'll be here every single week. I would tell you that if you're not in a, a group, get in a group where you can get some help with your finances. We have financial groups that will help you tremendously. You can call our office. We'll connect you with our financial stewardship director. We're, we help people literally rip up, you know, years of debt, cut up credit cards and see people's lives totally change every single semester here at Connect Community Church. It's there for you. And then we'll resource you. Now, I'm embarrassed because, well, I didn't expect this, but I have this whole series is based on this book, The ABCs of Financial Freedom by Barry Cameron. He's, a, he's in a friend of mine's church, so, so, so you might think I'm so smart, but a lot of the stuff comes right out of this book. And so um, we're going to give you this book. Now, last, last service, I, I said everybody could go get a book at Guest Central, and they're all gone, so they took them all. So I will have, I'll have plenty of these next week, and anybody who wants a book, I will get this book in here. you got to be here next week, and you got to go to Guest Central to get it, okay? So we have a free book for you uh, to make your journey more successful. This book will change your life. It'll blow your mind how effective it is, and I hope that, that you'll take advantage of that. Amen? And so the last point for those of you taking notes is through routine discipline. Routine discipline. Some of you would be like, good Lord, he didn't give us the last one, and I'm so angry right now. And so... There's a discipline part. So that's for all you people. Stand to your feet. Let me pray for you. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Would you just close your eyes and let me pray for you? Father, there's people all over this room, and there's normally a way we do this right now, and I'm going to change that for today because I, I feel prompted to. But I just ask that you would speak to people's hearts, Lord. I don't want to just do a clever message. I don't want to just do a good message. I want a message, Lord, that gets right to the root of the matter, the heart of the matter. And Nobody in Jesus' name walk out of here condemned. People go out here, if you're convicted, I can't stop that. That's good. That's good. That's good. But no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that people that are here that don't have that financial picture that you have for them, that in the coming weeks things begin to change and be transformed because we have a vision. And I pray that people go away and they get a vision because of our thinking and our attitude towards God and, and, and that we're willing to take certain action steps. Lord, I know people struggle in this, and I believe God for miracles and people's finances in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a, a great Sunday. Pastor Mark's going to come right here and just tell you something real fast.